0: Good evening, Redeemer, and those of you who are our guests this evening, welcome those of you who are joining us on live stream as well. Uh, We're glad to have you here with us tonight as we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus together. Um, My name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here. If we have yet to meet, I would love to meet you afterwards. And uh, and if you have any questions about our church, I'd love to share uh, any answers I could give you or information that you might be looking for. But tonight, as we celebrate the birth of Christ together, As a church family, um, and with those of you who are our guests in the room, I want us to take a look for a moment at the text in Matthew chapter 2. You know, one of the challenges of preaching at Christmas every single year um, is that many of us are familiar with these texts. Uh, We come back to the same ones over and over and over again. And so we can kind of get lulled to sleep a little bit um, by some of these uh, passages if we don't realize that they have some punch to them. And so tonight as we take a look at Matthew chapter 2, Um, I want to spend some time looking at the purpose for which Jesus is born. And I think Matthew clearly expresses that on the pages, because at Christmas we can not only take a look and and know that Jesus has come, but we also need to answer the question of why He has come. And I think Matthew answers that question brilliantly in this text. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures in front of you, you can follow along in Matthew chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 12 together. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, They departed to their own country by another way. This is God's Word. (coughs) Ooh, Tickle in my throat. It's not what you're thinking. (laughs) So, as we take a look at Matthew chapter 12 this evening, oftentimes, or chapter 2 this evening, oftentimes when we look at this text, we focus exclusively on the Magi and the gifts that they bring to Jesus. And that's a very worthy focus Uh, for us to spend some time on. But tonight, as we look at it, what I want you to see is that what Matthew does is he outlines here for us three different responses to Jesus. And I want us to take a look at each of those responses and consider where we might fall on that spectrum of how we would respond to Jesus. Because Jesus, indeed, is born for a purpose. It's not just that He came, but it's why He came. And the reason that He came, Matthew tells us, is that He came to rule. He's not only come to save... <clears throat> which he has, but he's also come to rule. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew answers this question, if Jesus indeed is the king, then where is the kingdom? Okay, And that's what his whole Gospel is written to persuade the Jewish people about. And so here from the very outset of Matthew's Gospel, thank you, sir, we see when the Magi from the East come to Jerusalem, they come seeking a king. Okay, They come looking for the one who had been prophesied. All the way back in the book of... Numbers and in Isaiah, let me give you a couple of places where we hear about this king who would come in Numbers chapter 24 verses 16 to 17. Balaam, who is a foreign prophet, is prophesying and he says, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth so here you have a foreign prophet from the east who is prophesying that a ruler would emerge in connection with a star who would have a scepter that would deliver God's people by crushing their enemies and then in Isaiah chapter 60, you read, "I rise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples of the earth. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord." So you have a homegrown prophet, Jewish prophet here, for telling that the nations would be drawn to the light that would arise from God's people, and they would come bringing gifts from afar. Foreign peoples would come uh, into to, 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 to see God's people, the light that would arise there. And in Matthew, you have these magi from the east coming to Jerusalem to offer their allegiance to this king who has been born by bringing him the very gifts that Isaiah says will be brought at the rising of that light. Now. It was prophesied, but here in Matthew chapter 2, consider something with me. When the Magi show up in Jerusalem, they ask, where is he who has been born? What? King of the Jews. In verse 4, when Herod submits an inquiry to the chief priest about where this Christ is to be born, the chief priest and the scribes, they respond in Bethlehem okay, of Judah. Right? When, when, when Herod's inquiring about the Christ, that term Christ isn't Jesus' last name. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, but the word Christ literally means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there were three categories of people who were anointed for service. You had prophets, priests, and kings. In verse 6, the chief priests and scribes point Herod and the Magi to Micah 5.2 that speaks of a ruler coming out of Bethlehem. So it's very, very clear that Matthew intends to show us that when Jesus makes His arrival, though it be without pomp and circumstance, He's born in a very humble, lowly place in a manger. Right? It is not without consequence. Because what you have in the arrival of Jesus is the entry into human history of God clothed in the flesh who would come to rule over His people, deliver them from their enemies, I lead them, guide them, defend them, and protect them. He intends to show us that this child is the king of all creation and has come to establish His rule. Because when the Magi show up, listen, they don't come to Jerusalem looking for a teacher or a therapist. okay, Someone to give them instru- moral instruction or help them feel better about the problems in life. Right? They also do not come looking for a philosopher or a psychologist. Someone who could prescribe them medication or give them really deep thoughts to muse and ponder. Right? They also don't come looking for a daytime talk show host who can give them a little help with their dating life. Right? What they come when they're asking is where is the king? Where is the ruler? They come seeking a king. And when Jesus Christ makes His arrival into human history, listen, He comes to lay claim on everything that He's created. All the ground that He has established. Right, So, from... Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial ground. He comes to lay claim on everything as the rightful king. But what we see in the text is not everyone responds to that claim the same way. Now, I want us to see three different responses here in the text tonight and pray that the Holy Spirit would illumine for you where it is and how it is you have responded to the claim of Jesus on your own life. As he's come to rule. The first response. Is that of indifference. Look at the Jewish chief priests and scribes. The Jewish... Uh, the high priest or the chief priest would have represented Jewish worship there in the temple and the scribes would have represented the the, the the transmission of Jewish law of the Old Testament being written, recorded and passed down from generation to generation. So you got these guys who knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They were well acquainted with the Scriptures in the Old Testament. They knew them inside and out. In fact, whenever Herod says, hey hey guys, where where is this Christ supposed to be born? They're like, Dial it up, right? Micah 5 2, Bethlehem, that's where he's going to be found, right? So they know the book backwards and forwards, but they do nothing to go and receive the king of all creation who had been prophesied, the one they had read about in the Old Testament scriptures. It's like when Herod asked for the location, you got all these Bible guys standing behind podiums like it's clergy week on Jeopardy, right? And they're like, right? What is Bethlehem of Judea, Alex? Right? And there's just such an indifference, right? as if Jesus is just kind of a trivial figure in human history. So listen, in the same way that those chief priests and scribes responded back then, there are many who respond the same way today, with a degree of indifference, because for them, Jesus is trivial. Listen, Jesus may have played some part in their life, in their childhood, whenever they were growing up but He never moved to the center or the foundation of their life. They never came to terms with the claim that He has on all of their life as their King. And I want you to know something. This is particularly true for those of us who live in the proverbial buckle of the Bible Belt. Okay? J.C. Ryle, who is a long-deceased Anglican bishop, said it this way, he said, how often the very people who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them most. There is only so much truth in the old proverb, the nearer the church, the further from God. Familiarity with sacred things has a dreadful tendency to make men despise them. There are many who from residence and convenience ought to be first and foremost in the worship of God and yet are always last. There are many who might well be expected to be last who are always first. You know, I think what Ryle's trying to say there is this, based upon the fact that we live in a culture where you can find a church on every corner, Okay? In the buckle of the Bible belt, you would expect that there would be people who would be willing to drive two minutes down the street to be in fellowship with God's people, under God's Word, in worship of God, and yet, it's hard to get out of the house when it's raining on Sunday morning. Right? But then you've got people who live in the bush of sub-Saharan Africa who will walk miles to hear the Word preached and walk miles to return home through all sorts of conditions. He says, by residence and convenience, you would expect that there would be a greater passion and fire for the things of God. But oftentimes, he says, you find the very opposite in those places. Because for many, they are indifferent toward Jesus. We've been raised in church or proximity to church, with Bible stories, video curriculum, Sunday schools, preteen camps and retreats, youth camps and retreats, Christian education but they live with an indifference because they've never come to terms with the claim that Jesus has on their life as their king. Is that you? Are you indifferent toward him? Second response in the text is that not only do some respond with indifference and for them Jesus is trivial, but others respond with opposition because for them Jesus is a threat. If you look at Herod's response in the text, it's it's pretty mind-blowing the way that Herod responds. The one who is the kind of puppet king of the Roman Empire ruling over the Jewish people. When the Magi come to him, he, he inquires of the scribes and chief priests. They tell him where to go. He, they set off, before they go, he calls them over in secrecy. He says, hey, listen, when you guys go find him, come back and let me know where he's at because I want to go worship him too. All right, And so they take off and they go find him but they're ultimately warned in a dream by God not to return the same way because what Herod wants to do is not to go worship him but to go kill him in fact whenever he realizes he's been bamboozled and they don't return back Herod goes on a genocidal quest and kills every child in that region under the age of two based upon the time in which the Magi saw the star and began their journey because Herod is threatened his rule is threatened by the arrival of the true king the one who has come to rule. And there are some people who respond to Jesus in very much the same way today. They're threatened. They, want, they don't want to take the back seat. They don't want to take the second chair. They want the first chair. They want the front seat. They want the driver's seat of their lives. Right? They want to be in control of their relationships. They want to be in control of their finances. They want to be in control of their sexuality. They want to be in control of every aspect of their life and yield nothing and submit to no one. And so whenever we say that Jesus is going to be a king, it's it's threatening to their own autonomy, sovereignty, and rule. In other words, I can't call the shots anymore if I have to answer to someone. And in the same way that Herod was threatened, so also are we. The third response is the one I think Matthew sets like a beautiful gemstone in contrast to these other two. Because while the scribes and chief priests, while they responded with sense of indifference and for them jesus was trivial and while herod responded with opposition and for him jesus was a threat the 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 magi they respond with adoration because for them jesus is their treasure their treasure look at how they respond they approach the infant jesus and in recognition of his rightful position they bow their knee and they offer up their gifts in adoration and worship They give the gift of gold fit for royalty and frankincense fit for deity and myrrh fit for humanity. And in all, their offering was incredibly extravagant and costly. In other words, they're putting their best and brightest before Jesus and saying, you have access to everything. I'm offering all that I am and all that I have to you as the king of all creation. And church, I want to tell you something tonight, and friends. This is the only logical response to the rule of Jesus. All right? Because if, this is, if Christmas is true, and as what Brian read when we started our service earlier, that God Himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, took on flesh and tabernacled among us, came to dwell, set up His tent in our midst, and lived among us. If that is true, Right? It's not just a Lexus December to remember and sentimental and warm fuzzies. But if that's true, then no one can just go to Jesus' Facebook page and push like and then move on about their lives. Right? It's either I divest myself of all control and offer it up to Him. It's either all or nothing. It's what life in Christ is that He's come to be our King. And so the only logical response is push all your chips to the center of the table and say, you know what, I'm all in and I'm all yours. That's what these magi do in their response to Jesus. Now listen, I wonder how or where the Holy Spirit might be pressing on some of us tonight as we think about those three responses. As we think about the response of indifference or of opposition or of adoration. Perhaps the Spirit is pressing on areas of your own heart and life and showing you where you have been indifferent. You've been in church maybe all of your life. You've never been captivated by the beauty of Jesus. You've heard some better sermons and some worse sermons, right? You've sang songs. Perhaps you've even gone through the steps of baptism or church membership, but you've never really fully been captivated by the radiance of Jesus. You've never come to claim terms with His claim on your life. That He's come to rule. And so He's just kind of a trivial figure in your life that you return to for nostalgic purposes on certain holidays. Or maybe, maybe the Lord's pressing in some of our lives saying, look, there's some opposition There's some opposition in your heart to Jesus' rule. Because you want to hang on to certain aspects of your life. You can say, basically draw a line in the sand and say, Jesus, you can come this far, but no further. In other words, this light, which the center candle, the Christ candle represents, it can shine in certain portions of my life, but I'm going to stay in the darkness in other portions. And Matthew, based on what he says here, doesn't allow for that. He wants to radiate your whole entirety of your life. Every corner and every closet He wants to flip the light on and allow there to be nothing that would stand in opposition or hostility to Him. Or perhaps the Spirit's confirming for some of you that, yes, like the Magi, you have come to Jesus with hearts filled with adoration. As we'll sing later, you fall on your knees, oh, hear the angels' voices as we think about the arrival of Jesus into the world. Now, if you're here tonight and one of those two responses is what characterizes you, you may be asking yourself this question. So this Jesus who's come to rule and I've been indifferent towards Him or I've been hostile or opposed to Him. What if tonight I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to come to Him? How will He respond to me? I know what I've said about Him. I know what I've thought about Him. I know how I've acted towards Him. How would He respond to me? And if that's you tonight, before we close, I want you to hear this, that He's not only come to rule, but as He's come to rule, He's come as a shepherd king. In other words, the the character of His rule is different than any other king you've ever known. See, in the heart of this text, there's a citation of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where the Magi discover from the chief priests and scribes where the child was to be born. But that text in Micah 5, 2 tells us not only that the king would be born in Bethlehem, but it tells us something about the nature of his kingship. It says that he would be a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that image of a shepherd, listen, it invokes... The image of a man who would guide and direct and defend and feed and protect the sheep. And all throughout the Bible, friends, God is called the shepherd of His people in the Old Testament. You see the shepherd of Israel who goes before the flock in Psalm 68. He guides it in Psalm 23. leads it to food and water in Psalm 23. Protects it in Psalm 23. He carries its young in Isaiah chapter 40. And in Jesus, God declares to the world that He's not only a king, but He's a king who would shepherd. Who would chase His sheep. Who would pursue His sheep. And in fact, Jesus would be called later in John's Gospel, the Good Shepherd because He would lay His life down for the sheep. To bring them into the fold. To pursue them and chase them down out of loyal love. In fact, there's an old hymn written in 1860 by a man named Samuel John Stone it's entitled The Church is One Foundation, and in the first verse I want you to hear what he says about the about this King Jesus. It says The Church is One Foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. See, the glory of the Gospel, church, is not just that Jesus has come to die so that you might possibly be saved, but to actually secure the salvation of those that He has set His affection upon from before the foundations of the world and bind Himself to them in covenant love. That is the beauty of this. And so if you're here tonight and the Spirit's pressing you saying, you've been indifferent, you've been opposed, and you're going, how would He respond to me? Listen. Listen, He would receive you just as you are if you will receive Him just as He is. That's the beauty of the Gospel. He will by no means turn you away. If you want to come to Him, He will receive you with arms wide open just as you are if you would receive Him with arms wide open just as He is. Listen, I love this illustration. I've used it before. I'll use it again tonight. But... It, it, uh, I remember watching the live-action remake of the Cinderella Disney classic Cinderella back in 2015 with my family. And I remember... <clears throat> you guys know the story of Cinderella. I don't have to tell it to you, right? Um, and so, at the end of that live-action remake, uh, the prince is chasing down his beauty, okay? And so, he's chasing down... He's got the shoe, like the magic's gone, the shoe's there, so he's going... House to house and door to door throughout the kingdom looking for the young maiden whose foot would slide into that slipper. And the very final home that he comes to is the home of Cinderella and her not so very kind stepmother and stepsisters... Okay, they try to persuade him that this shoe is going to fit their feet, and when it doesn't, they persuade them there's no one else at home. But as the entourage turns to ride away, someone looks back and sees Cinderella peering out from an upstairs window. And so they turn around and say, I thought you said no one else was here. And they said, Oh, well, there's just the, the servant girl upstairs. And he said, Bring her. And so she comes down the stairs, and the prince is waiting in the formal. I guess you'd call it formal living room. I don't know what they called it in Disney fantasy world. But in the formal living room with the fireplace and everything, and as Cinderella walks down the stairs, at this point, the narrator kicks in with a incredibly penetrating question. And this is what he says. He says, would who she was, who she really was, be enough? There was no magic to help her this time. This is perhaps the greatest risk any of us will ever take to be seen as we truly are. She rounds the corner and sees the prince and the prince turns and sees her and asks this question, who are you? And Cinderella says, Cinderella, I am no princess and I have no carriage, no parents, no dowry. I don't even know if that slipper will fit, but if it will, will you take me as I am? In other words, I have nothing to offer to you. Okay, nothing to build your, uh, your, 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 your honor or prestige among the people, right? I, have, I bring like nothing to the table. My hands are empty. And the prince says, she says, Will you take me as I am? And the prince says, Of course I will, but only if you will take me as I am an apprentice who's still learning his trade. You see, the, king is now the, no, the prince is now the king. His father has died, he's now inherited the throne. But he's a king who is dripping with humility. Dripping with humility. Now here's the difference. Jesus is not an apprentice to anyone. He was never on Donald Trump's television show. Okay? However, he is a king who dripped with humility all the way to the cross. The king of heaven and earth who was born in a manger. A humility that Paul would describe in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. And following, he says, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And listen, friend, because Jesus dripped humility all the way to the cross and shed His blood, His body was broken in our place and for our sins, whenever you ask the question, would He really receive Me? Then the resounding answer is nothing other than, yes, He will take you as you are if you will take Him as He is, as your King. So if that's you tonight, I want you to know He stands ready to receive you. So is Jesus trivial to you? Is He a threat to you? Or is He your treasure? Either of those first two responses, listen, means that His rightful place and rule, His power and humility is yet to melt your heart. And so how you respond to, to, those, to, to Jesus in one of those three, it has eternal consequence for you and I. So tonight, I want to pray for us that if the Holy Spirit's pressing, that it wouldn't get lost in all the trappings of gifts and paper and bags and bows and tape. Can I pray for us? Father, we thank You so much for the evening, for the chance to spend time Reflecting on the birth of Your Son. Not just that He came, but why He came. He's come to be our King. And Father, there is no way to receive Him merely as the means to our forgiveness without also putting our lives under His gracious rule. Father, I thank You that You sent Your Son who sought me as a 15-year-old lost pagan who knew not what it cost for You to love me. I thank You that You sent Your Son for people like me. And people like my brothers and sisters and friends in this room tonight. And Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would press on our hearts. Would either confirm our response of adoration or show us where there has been opposition or even indifference. And Father, may we not shrink back but press in knowing that if we would come if we would come to Jesus as our king, He would by no means turn us aside. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And tonight, church, as we continue to celebrate the birth of Christ, we want to be reminded of the fact that when Christ is born in this world, as we read even earlier, that He came to be a light would shine into the darkness. And listen, for each and every one of us who have responded with adoration, who have come and offered our lives at the foot of the cross for all that God has done for us, I want you to know that that humility that Jesus dripped with to the cross and the power that emerged from the grave, want you know that same humility and that same power now is present in the lives of those who have come under His Lordship, who have come under His leadership, who have come under His rule. And as such, as the light of Christ shines in our lives, then it begins to shine through our lives to others who are around us. And they see humility, and they see power that they know not, they have not access to in this world. And so tonight, we want to remember that. And as we do, you should have found a candle that was on the seat where you're seated whenever you came in. If you did not, I believe we have a few extra in the back. And we can get you one. But I want to take this Christ candle from the center of the Advent wreath and as a reminder of the light of Christ that has shone in our hearts to show us the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that as Christ touches each of our lives, He uses us to share that light and shine that light into the lives of others. And so we will light the Advent candles this evening and sing together as a reminder as a reminder of God's call on each of us who have responded in adoration and worship to His Son.